0: Welcome beautiful people to Camp Me. My name is Joel and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. On today's show we're going to talk about the next Grand Theft Auto trailer. We're going to talk about PlayStation's digital future and we're going to finish it off by uh, these rumors and conversations about Xbox becoming a third-party publisher. But we're going to start off with CD Projekt Red. So last week they announced update 2.1 for Cyberpunk 2077. Now this is really interesting because there was a lot of criticism that came out of the game awards. And one of those pieces of criticism was why was Cyberpunk nominated for best ongoing game? And there was a part of me that actually did agree with that, which is like, yes, they put in an expansion Yes, that expansion they changed a lot in the game in terms of the combat trees and you know pretty much like revamped the game almost top to bottom. It felt like they were finally releasing the game that they wanted to release two years ago. and I agreed with a lot of other people, which is like i't I, I would't really call this the best ongoing game because the company already announced that they were moving on, but out of nowhere it's like these it's, it almost makes me feel like CD Project was like oh you guys don't think we're deserving of that nomination i got another one for you update 2.1 and this update itself it adds a lot of things that you know require a substantial amount of work substantial enough where it they definitely have justified themselves as being nominated this year for best ongoing game So this update adds brand new accessibility options. A lot of things on there, especially like one of the most important ones, was increasing font size. They added improvements to uh, the boss fights specifically, and I believe only really the Atom Smasher fight. They just made him a lot more dangerous. They brought his character a little bit closer to what we saw from the anime. Apparently there was a lot of feedback from fans of the game is that, in the anime he seemed like you know a deadly force very very intimidating so they tried to bring that a little bit closer to the anime in the game they added something called romance hangouts which they haven't really detailed it looks like it's something that they want fans to discover on their own but uh it's basically when you enter into a romance with uh one of the other npcs like judy or pan am you can hang out in your apartment. They haven't really specified exactly what that means. I also read somewhere that apparently they're adding more NPCs that can be romanced. I'm not 100% sure how deep that is, but that's something to keep an eye on. They added a portable radio, so you can listen to the radio wherever, not just inside of a car. Replayable car races. They also added some car combat into some previous missions I was reading. They added five new motorcycles and a new colorway for Johnny Silverhand's Porsche. Motorcycle tricks, including throwable weapons while riding. And then the biggest addition, which is finally adding the functional metro with five lines over a dozen stations, and you can use it for fast or real-time travel. So when you enter into it, you can just kind of sit there. It reminded me a little bit of the way that Grand Theft Auto handled taxis. Like you can hail a taxi... To take you somewhere but you can also just sit in the taxi and sightsee which i thought was always kind of a, a cool awesome experience or you could just press a button and fast forward and it gets you exactly where you need to go that's exactly how this metro works but then they were showing that there's like interactions with the metro like someone came up and i think they were begging for money i wasn't 100 sure of what was happening that interaction but it looks like they added actual things and you can step in step out at whatever stop you want you'll see um NPCs stepping in and out, sitting down. Really, really cool. I mean, that, that's, look, I I definitely have given Cyberpunk a lot of crap over the last few years. And I think a lot of it really stemmed, it stemmed from two things. Number one was the fact that it's undeniable that the leadership team at CD Projekt Red lied about the state of the game. That to me is not something that could be argued. They blatantly lied, especially when it came to the, state of the playstation 4 and xbox one versions when during uh, the shareholder meetings they were saying yeah the game is in in great shape and then of course they never showed it the deception of the way the review process worked not sending out console codes until like the day of the game's release uh, allowing pc reviews lifting the embargo, I think it was like a day before the game released, but then not allowing outlets to use their own footage. They had to use footage provided by CD Projekt Red. So it was literally CD. The way that this process was uh, to get this game out there, uh, you know, I think that that's undeniable, right? PlayStation removed this game for six months. It shows you how bad of a state the game was in. But, you know, to me, Props have to be given where props are earned, and that's exactly what CD Projekt Red did. They made so much money and sold so many copies of that game within the first month that they probably could have just continued to coast and maybe just at a minimum try to just fix the game because there were so many things that were broken about the game. I remember I had like a a, a little Twitter series where i would visit a particular hole in the city i don't remember i think it was around the part that i think it's called little haiti i haven't played cyberpunk in a while but i think that's what it was called there was just a gigantic hole in the ground that you could walk into and of course you just fall down inside of it and i think every update i would go to it and record a new video like okay is the hole still here and i think it took like five updates before the hole was uh was plugged so you know, this is a company that honestly could have just gone out of their way to just, just fix things. Just fix it and and get the game stable and then leave it at that. Uh, but they didn't do that. They completely revamped combat. They completely revamped the skill trees, which was a, a, a huge, huge problem. Added a lot of quality of life improvements that, that people were complaining about. Added new weapons, new clothing, new vehicles, um, you know, new missions, new things in the city. And then, of course, that's all outside of the Phantom Liberty expansion pack. You know, you have to commend them for investing that amount of money back into the game. And I feel like when Cyberpunk 2.0 came out, it really felt like it was a lot closer to the original vision of the game, a bit closer to the original promise of what the game was supposed to be, especially with the combat, because I thought the combat was really lacking. uh, And I had the same complaints that a lot of people had about the skill tree. And they added and they made a ton of those changes. And then for them to add the Metro, which was something that was obviously teased in the very first trailer that we saw that debuted at, I think it was Xbox, it was like E3 2018, 19, one of those two, for them to add this Metro. And I remember the Metro is like the center of so much focus of how soulless and empty that city was, the fact that, you could see people walking in and out of this metro entrance, but then, of course, you couldn't. And then people discovered that, you know, the metro was just going through buildings. Like, it just architecturally didn't even make any sense. For them to go back and add something like that in, something that, like I said, takes substantial work. And it wasn't just like, all right, let's open up the metro stations for fast travel. It was like, no, let's actually make these stations. It It feels like it was an idea that they had, at some point in development, that they were just forced to cut because they didn't have the time. So, um, like I said, CD Projekt Red has to be commended for putting this much work into the game. And it's it's kind of weird because now it's this game is at this point where it's like, okay, our fans should should fans be expecting more? There was a very recent announcement about them, uh, you know, ramping up on development of the next Witcher. We know that you know, pre-development has already begun for the next Cyberpunk. So it'll be interesting to see how much more they do. This was a a complete surprise. Just out of nowhere, they were like, yep, tomorrow update 2.1, you're going to want to watch. We're adding a lot of cool new things. So shout out to CD Projekt Red. I mean, there's not really much more I can say about that. I I still have been trying to find more time to go back into it. I haven't played Phantom Liberty. I haven't even played the 2.0 update apparently doesn't really work too well on a hard drive right now i'm trying to figure out my ssd situation i just don't have space for it right now um but i definitely even with especially now with this um update i i definitely am interested in starting a, a brand new playthrough for for the game so yeah pretty amazing stuff go check it out our next story is all about mr grand theft auto now when rockstar first announced the Grand Theft Auto trailer was coming in December and became the most liked gaming tweet of all time. Then last week they announced the first trailer was coming Tuesday, December 5th at 9am. And that became the most liked gaming tweet of all time. And it's kind of funny because now that means that tomorrow when this game release, excuse me, when this trailer releases, that's going to become the most liked gaming tweet of all time. So it's just hilarious how these guys just beat their own record, uh, or, or beat the record three times in a row. It, it, it's kind of been a, an interesting week for Grand Theft Auto. You know, they, they announced this um, date of December 5th, 9 a.m. Get to watch the trailer on YouTube with this piece of key art, very, very simple key art. Uh, we obviously, if if you didn't know this was set in Vice City, which we all know it is, right? Right. Uh it definitely is Vice City. Once you see that image, it, it just invokes it, right? You have that beautiful purple and 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 orange. You see the trees, it's it's gorgeous, right? Out of nowhere, our industry just picked it up. It felt like almost every gaming Twitter account <clears throat> was using that purple and orange format to announce some sort of upcoming upcoming trailer. You know, it it just shows how in deeply impactful Rockstar games and just the Grand Theft Auto is as a as a brand. It, it just, it was like instant within 24 hours. Saw, you saw know, Fall Guys, Halo, Call of Duty, Atari even, making all these um, images that were using that same exact color scheme. It was really interesting to see. Another interesting thing that happened last week was there was another leak that seemed to be going around TikTok, with some attributing it to the son of current head of development, Aaron Garbu, or Garbutt, is G-A-R-B-U-T. Now, the origins of this leak, from what I could research, no one could definitively say that, yes, this is 100% coming from the son of a GTA employee. It's a rumor that kind of caught fire and kept going around, but it seems like no one can really nail down that that's exactly what happened here. All it really showed was a bit of a, like a detached camera, you know, looking around uh, the map. And some people were lining up some of the buildings with some of the leaks saying that, yes, this looks, let's look really close. It probably is. The Grand Theft Auto, um, uh, the Grand Theft Auto map. Personally, for me, I think it's an elaborate leak. I think that, that leak happened and i think someone had more than enough time even if they were pumping in just an hour a day <laughs> of building out this elaborate fake and using some of the buildings that we already saw during the teaser to make it feel real and one thing that people saw in the map that made them convinced that this was real was there was an advertisement for for pisswasser which is one of the most the oldest fake brands that um, it's like a beer brand that Grand Theft Auto has done. But to me, that ad felt more to me like the proof that it was fake. Uh, I don't know. There was something about the ad that didn't feel modern. It felt like it was made using just the previous history of actually advancing it to a billboard that would be present in a current city of, uh, of Grand Theft Auto. So to me I personally stand on the side that it was just an a, a pretty good elaborate fake uh that that's that's where I'm I'm uh, putting my flag. Now also fans last week believed that the trailer was actually teased back in June 2023 because of a shirt released on GTA online with a hidden message fans deciphered that read one day will reveal all. Now, I, I couldn't really find out this was an official release. Apparently, it was released, but then it was removed, and the name of the shirt was just three question marks, so it is possible that this was something that was released by mistake. But now that the trailer has been announced, uh, fans noticed that it contained a string of numbers, so or going around this image sort of in a diamond pattern where just this random string of numbers, and uh, someone sort of uh, pointed out that one particular string reads out 1252309 which of course is December 5th 2023 0, 09 being 9 a.m. it's it's definitely pretty a little bit too close to be a a, a coincidence part of me wants to believe that this was a mistake like i, I just can't imagine that in June they already had the exact date and time nailed down for a trailer release. Uh, I, e- even though it's kind of one of those things where it's it's hard to believe on both sides. It's hard, yes, it's hard to believe that this string of numbers was just a, a, a random coincidence. But it's also for, hard for me to believe that in June of this year they already had the exact date and time for the tra- for the first trailers release. That's that to me is a little bit hard. To believe, others noticed that there was another decipherable string of numbers, which was 040125, Which some people say that it could be the release date. This is one that I say no. <laughs> like that's just absolutely not. There's there's no way that that's real. There's no way that uh, years ahead ahead of time, <laughs> Rockstar is going to have the exact date for this game. It's 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 just not very realistic, especially with the fact that. It's literally April Fool's. So it could be whoever put this together. So let's go with the scenario that the person who put this shirt together was aware of the date and time of that trailer. Uh, I could see them also adding the string as a joke uh, because, of course, that is April Fool's Day. The last piece of news regarding the Grand Theft Auto Six trailer was that we got an official trailer link where currently over 47,000 people are sitting and waiting. The trailer length length is one minute and thirty one seconds. So yeah, tomorrow I feel like a lot changes. This is something that you know I have been a Grand Theft Auto fan for quite some time. I have a lot of like it's it's probably in terms of like memorabilia memorabilia collectibles. Grand Theft Auto is the biggest one that I have, which I really want to grow. is still way too small. Um. So I have a lot, a lot of of love for Grand Theft Auto and I have definitely lost a lot of my love for the franchise over the last few years because I don't play GTA online. I'm not a big fan of live service stuff. <clears throat> I don't like games where in order for me to enjoy the game, I have to play it at least twice a week I don't I don't like being beholden to a video game like that I don't like it which is why I've never really got into GTA Online and then you know for me which is a person that really just loves the single player stuff uh, there hasn't been anything for 10 years so you know my my love for the Grand Theft Auto franchise has definitely gone down and it's kind of interesting because I went back to a, a Camp Koji episode I did in May 2021 and that Um, episode was called Grand Theft Auto 5 ever and in it I ended it by saying almost like these exact words it's like yeah I'm not really excited for the next Grand Theft Auto I'm sure I'll be excited when the first trailer comes out and that's exactly like literally word for word exactly how I feel which is now that we are you know upon the trailer and we're about to see it tomorrow I'm extremely excited to see what they've done I feel like when I think back to what rockstar was able to accomplish with red dead redemption 2 and think about implementing everything that they learned and so much of that technology into grand theft auto the next grand theft auto which we which is guaranteed to only be you know current gen there's no way this game is coming out on playstation 4 and xbox one i feel like you put all that together and and it's just like your mind is just running with how Amazing, this is going to be the fact that they can rely on the SSD to do really cool things. And you know, you know, when we think about generating things throughout the city, you know, being able to add more buildings that you can walk into, I think is going to be a huge thing for this next game. I am very, very excited. Now, back in May 2021, I predicted that the game was going to come out in 2024. I said 2023 at the earliest, but that I was very confident it would be 2024. I even threw out a date, which I thought was kind of weird when I was listening to that episode, when I, when I was listening back to that episode, which uh, I predicted November 8th, 2024. I still do believe that this game is coming out late 2024. I think that this is going to be the first Rockstar game in a while that will not be delayed. I think that Take-Two, Strauss, Zelnick, and all their shareholders know full well how important this game is for them. And their business right now and their expectations for for that fiscal year are extremely dependent on Grand Theft Auto. And I think that you don't make that type of big bet without feeling extremely confident of, what, of whatever date you're about to attach to it. I don't think that we're going to get a date tomorrow. The most we'll either get... Is a coming soon? If we're lucky, we'll see a fall 2024. Because once again, that's my prediction. Of course, I could be wrong. It could be 2025. But I, I just don't see them announcing it that early. I think that this game has been in development long enough and they've had more than enough time to be able to release something extremely solid on the date that they say it is. You know, Red Dead, I think, was... Delayed by like close to a year, if I'm not mistaken. I I just honestly don't see that happening again. So my prediction is that whatever date they put is going to be a really concrete one. Because once again, so much of the business is revolving around them hitting that actual date. And I think the other thing is that Strauss Zelnik has been in a position of almost like, I want to say luck, but a very fortunate position where I don't think that there's a need to pressure Rockstar to release this game you know, at a certain point. Or like, hey, this needs to release by this point. I think Strauss Zelnick has really relied on Rockstar to tell him when it's ready. And I think Rockstar, if, they, if they're saying late 2024, that means that Rockstar is very confident they can hit that date. And they're not being rushed to that date, which is something that we see so much around the industry. I think that, straf zelnick and take two understand that they're still generating so much revenue just off of grand theft auto 5 alone that it buys them so much more time to prepare and get ready for the release of the 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 next grand theft auto so i think that's what's going to happen uh my crazy prediction i said this before was that this game is just going to be called grand theft auto because it's going to be the last one we're we're ever going (laughs) to get the game is going to be uh a live service thing and the next grand theft auto is just going to be a city that attaches to this this next one and they're just going to attach cities to grand theft auto i i that's my crazy pie in the sky prediction for this next grand theft auto you know they haven't called it grand theft auto 6 yet i don't think that that means that it's not grand theft auto 6 it's just the Rockstar way of doing things or not they, they like to reveal the, the name, the logo, and everything at the same exact time, which is, you know, what we're going to find out tomorrow at 9 a.m. Eastern. Like I said, I'm very, very excited to uh, see this. Our next story is all about PlayStation. So last week, Sony sent out a warning to PlayStation owners that select purchased TV shows made by Discovery we being removed from the service, and that includes over 1,300 seasons of Discovery TV shows. Quote, due to our content licensing arrangements with content providers, you will no longer be able to watch any of your previously purchased Discovery content, and the content will be removed from your video library. Apparently, PlayStation has done this before in July 2022, 314 titles in Germany and 137 in Austria were removed, all produced by Studio Canal. That is a story that I honestly don't remember. I don't even remember covering on Camp Koji. I would ha- probably have to go back through my show notes, but I honestly do not remember ever talking about that. That, that feels like something I would have talked about. So it just seems like it's something I really slipped under the radar Um, but yeah, so this basically means that even if you bought a season of one of these shows, I actually, I I don't even know what discovery does. I think like cake boss is one of their shows. So you bought three seasons of cake boss at whatever, 20, 30, $40 each that is now gone at the end of this year. And I think it is at the end of this year, which means that January 1st, you will not be able to watch those even though you paid for it. This is definitely like one of the, I would say like one of the loudest stories that we've had lately in terms of the issues of an all digital future, and it's something that a lot of people, including myself, have been talking about for literal years about the uh, the negative of digital ownership. I think for me myself. I've never once bought a digital TV show or movie I really don't think I've ever purchased one ever um, for games it's rare the only time I buy a game digitally there's only two moments number actually three number one is it's it's steam uh, that means that I bought it on Steam when the game was at an extreme discount so like i have a bunch of bethesda games on steam fallout 3 4 new vegas skyrim oblivion and i think i got it for like 10 bucks or something like that all those games my most recent purchase on steam was they they put half-life up as a free download for the 20th anniversary i haven't played in a while so i downloaded it and then they had half-life 2 episode one and episode two on sale so i bought all of all three of those for less than three bucks right so that's the one time that I buy something digital. Number two is when I'm forced, right? That means that there's a game that I really want to play and I have no other option. Wake 2 being the most recent one, but also a game like Death's Door, for example, uh, that came out, what was that, last year? And I was super interested in it. I had to buy it. The only way to buy it was digitally. I think it was like 20 or 30 bucks. So I bought it digitally. The uh, third method is if it's a game that I know I'm going to be playing and replaying for a very long time. So the last one for me was actually Rockstar's Red Dead Redemption 2. That was a game that I have a, uh, what I would call my plug that gets me physical games at a better price than I can get them anywhere else. And usually they get them to me a little bit earlier He wasn't able to get me Red Dead Redemption 2. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to buy it digitally because I know I'm going to be replaying and playing this game. And I was right. (laughs) I I sometimes just go back to play or just literally just ride around because I I love that game so much. Those are really the the only three methods that I buy something digital. And, you know, for me, my main reason to buy physical is not really to keep. I'm not a collector. I have an extremely tiny collection of physical games and I think for me personally the reason why is financially or or I would say fiscally probably I don't really keep a lot of physical games the reason why I don't do that is because for the most part when a physical game releases once I finish that physical game there's no reason for me to keep it because that means I'm not going to replay that game for quite some time when the time comes that I finally feel like I want to replay a video game, I could just buy it at like 20 bucks or something like that. So usually for me, I'll buy something physical at full price. I'll finish the game and usually I'll just sell it, make some of my money back to make that game a little bit cheaper for myself. And when it comes to to, to, to digital, the main reason why I don't buy digital is a very, very simple one is because You just literally do not own it, right? It's something that we've all known that this is a key part of digital games. This isn't something that's hidden, right? Yes, terms and conditions can be very overwhelming to read. But by now, everyone should have access to that common knowledge. Now, when you buy a digital game, you don't own it. You just get access to a license. But there's a lot of people that actually are not aware of that. So when you, I think that there was like a, a Reddit of people talking about this announcement and one person went on there and he was like, oh, I thought when I bought these, I owned them. I didn't know that I didn't own them. That's a problem, right? Um, that means that there are definitely a lot of people out there that are buying things digitally, whether it's TV shows, movies, or video games that think that they legally own them when they absolutely do not. <laughs> when you look at the terms conditions for anything, that's a digital item, whether it's a skin or a weapon or whatever, some sort of micro transaction, or a macro transaction like a, a, a full film, a full season of television. What you are buying is a license to access that content. That's literally all you're getting. So it's like someone is telling you, hey, I'm going to sell you the house, but I'm not actually going to give you the lease to, or or I'm going to sell you this apartment, but I'm not going to give you the lease to the apartment. I'm going to give you a key. You can come and go as you please. But in that contract, it says that the apartment is actually mine and at any point I can change the locks. <laughs> That's literally how digital works. At any point, they can lock, literally lock you out of the content because that license is irrevocable at any point in time. So one thing that I've talked about that I absolutely hate is even, you know, the power that a lot of these companies have over your account, especially when you're thinking about Apple, like some sort of account where it encompasses a lot of different things. So let's use Xbox as like a a good example, you know, you can use PlayStation. When you have a PlayStation user ID account or an Xbox Gamertag account Everything is tied to that one account, that one email. So every game you buy, every TV show, uh, every film that you buy or rent is attached to that, that that singular point. Which means that if for any reason Xbox bans your account, you now l- have lost access to what could be thousands of dollars of, uh, of, of stuff or, 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 or things. And I've long said that that's way too much power for a company to have so even if someone cheats in a game like let's say in Fortnite, you are banned from the game or yeah i guess Fortnite's a good example uh it shouldn't mean that you lose access to this thing to the things that you bought in my opinion if your account is banned you're not allowed to play the game anymore then it should be your responsibility to give me my money back it's almost like if you buy i, I always like to equate this to something physical like you know you, you 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 buy someone buys a bunch of stuff at Best Buy or Target and they get caught stealing lipstick it's like Target is allowed to go to your house and now remove everything that you bought from Target because you stole that one uh stick of lipstick or like Ikea um you know you buy a bunch of Ikea furniture and Ikea says you know what we're actually not making this bet anymore we're discontinuing it so uh, we're actually going to send someone to your house, and they're going to take your bed because we actually don't make it anymore. The and there are a lot of people that responded to this news by saying, "Ah, you see, you see what you guys did. We were telling you, been telling you for all this time about the dangers of digital. This is your fault." And no, you know, this is this psychology is something that I've spoken about so many times on Camp Koji, and I've spoken about through several of my YouTube videos. It was like the main point I made in this YouTube video that I made called Resellers Aren't the Problem, which is companies really use uh, consumers as almost like their shield, where it's like they want you to blame consumers. Like, oh, you know, actually, it's the consumer's fault. They told us they wanted digital, so that's why we're doing this. No, the assholes here are these companies, right? It's Discovery and PlayStation. It's one of those two parties. It's either... PlayStation not relicensing or Discovery. I I actually personally think this is more of a Discovery problem because they've been going through so many issues after the whole HBO merger garbage crap that they all did over there with Max and all that crap. Uh, This smells to me like something that Discovery did, uh, more so than something that PlayStation did. The counter evidence to that, though, is people are saying that Xbox hasn't been affected doesn't mean that Xbox won't be affected at some point. It means that their licensing periods ended at different points. It doesn't mean that we won't hear the same uh, messaging from Xbox at some point in the future. If that happens, then we know for a fact then that this was a discovery problem. But the companies are the ones that you guys should be angry at, not the consumers. Because for as much as, Yes, I do believe in like voting with your wallet. It is a very, very important thing. I can't speak for every other country, but I can speak for the United States of America. In this country, convenience will will win above all. American citizens have shown that they will give up pretty much any right that they have as long as it adds to convenience. As long as it brings me convenience, I'm okay with it. That's how we get things like Uber, And that's how we get things like DoorDash, these things that are just a tiny bit more convenient, but then are much worse, right? They're much worse for employees because it's all about contracts. You know, employees are not, you know, their drivers are not uh, guaranteed employment. Now there's this whole tipping culture because DoorDash doesn't properly pay um, their people. And it's just so weird when I see people complain about DoorDash, oh my God, look at these thieves. I went to buy a, a, a $15 burger and it's somehow $35. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, why don't you just use Google Maps or Google, search the restaurant, get the phone number and call a delivery order. So many restaurants have their own dedicated delivery, men and women, or just Especially if it's somewhere close by, just go and and pick it up. Like you guys are complicated the process, especially because DoorDash by default charges you sometimes a minimum of one to four dollars per item. So they add just an extra charge (laughs) that you don't see in order for them to keep the company running and be able to pay that delivery driver like two bucks to drive like, you know, a few miles or something like that. That's basically choosing convenience over like the suffering of so many other things in between the suffering of restaurant owners that are beholden to so many of these uh, delivery services because they've gotten too big to ignore. And then the suffering of all these drivers that are working below minimum wage and have to rely on tips. So then you get this toxicity between behind the tip culture. Of, of drivers not picking up food because it doesn't already have a tip attached. But of course, attaching a tip to a service that I have not received yet doesn't really make any sense. So you're basically bidding for people to pick up your food. It's just the most asinine, dumbest thing, right? But it became popular because it was convenient, because I don't have to talk to anyone, because I can go to my phone, uh, click one button for my favorite order, and boom, it's, it's all done and it, it'll be here in 20 minutes. I didn't have to have any human interaction. And I think that's really the same thing with digital. A lot of people looked at it as like, wow, this is convenient. I can pay 60 bucks or whatever it is. I don't have to go to stores. I don't have to wait in lines. I don't have to uh, pre-order. I don't have to drive or walk anywhere. I don't need that travel. So all of that just led to people adopting digital in at a much faster and, and a much higher rate and I th- I do truly think that a lot of people that are buying digital, even just outside of our industry truly do not understand that they don't own this stuff. I think for us as as, as gamers and people who talk about this, we're aware of that yeah, you don't actually own this stuff and legally speaking they have the right to take that back at any point in time. The reason why this is something that is talked about a lot is because even though a lot of companies reserve that right, a lot of them don't use it. It's, it's still kind of rare that they would come forward and say, yeah, we're just actually going to take back something that you paid for. This is something that 1,000% needs to change because our industry is heading towards a future to align with other entertainment industries right now there are a lot of you know places to still get blu-ray uh discs that is beginning to shrink music sections are beginning to uh also shrink i Can't remember the last time I personally saw a CD player, right? Uh, Vinyl is doing well because it went through like this vintage boom. That's not going to last forever. At some point, that vintage boom is going to start to to lower. Who knows? Uh, I think it has already started to go down. So pretty much we're at this point in time where our entire entertainment industry, you know, uh, books, TV shows, films, video games are all going to be digital only or, or, or digital dominant at some point. And that is where we just plainly need consumer protections. And it's something I brought up before on uh, Camp Koji, especially when I talked about free-to-play games. It's not fair that a free-to-play game is able to open up, launch, and then with six, within uh, six months to a year, shut the whole service down and then not be required by law to issue you a refund. That's not right. That's, it's just literally not right because when you think about the, um, almost like try to compare those, the 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 time it takes you to enjoy a video game, especially when you're, you're, when you're being made a promise of six months to a year, it almost feels like the equivalent of going to a, an auto body shop to like fix your tires and then three days later, later your tire falls off, and you go back, and they go, well, you know, we did it three days ago, we're not going to get your money back. It's like, no, you you promised me that this when you fix this tire will be fixed. It. It's not fixed. You need to fix it again for free. When it comes to a lot of these uh, digital things, especially with digital free to play games, a lot of these promises are made. These roadmaps, hey, we're going to be here for years, and a lot of people then invest in confidence that that's going to happen, and then it doesn't happen. And the problem the real problem here, and th- this is why you can't blame people who are just buying digital, because number one, I truly do believe the majority of people that buy things digital do not fully understand that they don't own them. I've had family members where I've talked to them about this and said, You don't, you know, you don't own that like TV show and that movie that you buy, right? And I usually talk a lot about piracy. Like I pirate personally a lot of TV shows and movies. The only service that I pay for is uh, Netflix, and it's mostly because people from my family use it. I actually don't use it a ton. If it wasn't for for for, for them, I would just be personally watching every TV show and, and film on my computer, on my computer screen, um, because once again, I'm not going to, I'm not interested in purchasing something that I do not own. If that were to change, if there were ever a moment where someone says, hey, you know, if you were to buy a digital version of Oppenheimer, uh, the license says that we must support servers for it in perpetuity forever, right? <laughs> uh, it, it also says in a license agreement that is DRM free, you own it, you can put it on a thumb drive, take it wherever you want. Uh, when that happens, I will start to be happy to buy uh, you know, digital things. Uh, But it's not going to happen. I think that, who was it? It was Gabe Newell who said the only answer to piracy is to um, offer a legitimate solution that is better than piracy. So it's not really the fault of people buying digital. It's really, and it's not, it's not even, I'm about to say it's not even the companies. The problem really is, really relies on the laws the, the the laws of uh, digital ownership need to be changed because no company is going to just step forward and be the nice guy <laughs> and say okay you know what guys we're gonna like look Steam is is it always puts themselves as a very user friendly experience right but Steam is not all of a sudden just going to tomorrow say you know what guys we're we're, we're not selling revocable licenses anymore we're gonna change our license process. No, they're not going to do that, right? Why Why aren't they going to do that? Because they're not legally obliged to do so. So many companies will only do things when they're legally obligated to do so. And I've spoken, this is why I, I talked a lot about NFTs and like the one thing that I like about NFTs is blockchain technology and its implementation for digital ownership. Forget monkey photos and all that, you know, garbage. I'm really talking about that technology being used to establish digital ownership is the only reason why I've always been interested in NFTs has been that blockchain technology. We need to get to a point in time where digital ownership is closer to physical. If we don't get there, if 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 uh, we don't get the laws changed, which I think that the, P, the, the, the country that will be the closest to beginning this process is probably going to be Europe because their digital laws are much stronger than it is in the United States since everyone here is bought and paid for, let's be honest. Until we get to that point, this is not going to change. This is not going to change. We we need to get to a, a moment in time where when a company releases something, if they revoke your access to something that you paid for, then you need to be issued a refund in full of whatever it was that you paid for it if it was on sale you paid 10 bucks you get 10 bucks if you bought it when it first released at 30 you get 30 bucks that needs to happen i guarantee you that a lot of things are going to change we're going to see way less free-to-play games <laughs> because i think companies are not going to be a lot more careful about what they release and and the way that they monetize when that happens our final story is all about xbox so During a panel, there's just going to be a bunch of different stuff that we're going to talk about here, all these rumors about Xbox going third party, but there was a lot of different pieces of news that came out from Xbox last week that I wanted to talk about. So during a panel at CCXP in Sao Paulo, Brazil, Phil Spencer backed the Xbox Series S 35% price hike, calling it the smallest margin in the world. The hike puts the price of the Xbox Series X so, sorry, sorry. The Xbox Series S at thirty five ninety nine Brazilian real, which is uh, spelled R E A L, I think that's the Brazilian way you pronounce it. I think it's real. That's uh, the equivalent to seven hundred and twenty eight U S dollars, which is insane. I don't think it's the highest. I think India has the highest prices for console, but there's some places where it's like it translates to like a thousand dollars USD. So if you thought five hundred was too much. Uh, count yourself lucky compared to some of these other countries this isn't really a surprise when i spoke about this a few weeks back i you know when people were asking for this to be reversed i said this is not going to be reversed <laughs> you know you don't make this a 35 percent price hike unless uh you know financially it's just not working and it looks like that's what's happening according to phil spencer they were just continuous and continuously losing money Uh, So they increase it and now they're just making a very, very small margin. So at least they're not losing money on it. So I guess that was their goal. Now I've seen a lot of websites say that this puts the Xbox Series S at priced more than PlayStation 5. And I've seen this um, sort of spread around a lot. Personally, I couldn't find proof of that. Every time I tried looking for the price of a PlayStation 5, whether it was physical or digital, it was always more than the price of this Xbox Series S. Either I'm wrong or a lot of the people that are parroting this sentence are wrong. Unfortunately, I just don't know what that truth is because obviously it doesn't make any sense <laughs> that the series s is more than the PlayStation 5. If you live in Brazil, what would you buy if you had the money then, right? You would buy a PS5. So I'm not really exactly sure. It maybe it could be more than the Um, digital version of PlayStation 5 over in Brazil. Unfortunately, like I said, I couldn't get the real answer to that. He also announced that Starfield surpassed 12 million players. And um, this is an interesting metric because it sounds good, but I actually feel like that's that's kind of low. I think that's way lower than what my personal expectations would have been for Starfield after a few months. So Starfield reached 10 million players on September 20th, which means that between September 20th and the beginning or the end of November, beginning of December, um, so a little over two months, they've only added 2 million more players. This is unfortunately not a very good metric. I don't like that now Xbox games are measured by the metric of players instead of sales because they just don't do a good job at giving us an idea of how, well a game is doing because unfortunately number one xbox or and phil spencer have not properly defined what they count as a player so we're just kind of have to go off an educated guess that a player is counted when they begin the game meaning that you've downloaded the game you launch it and i believe that that counts you as a player which is not a very good accurate representation right when you hear about you know, Zelda selling, you know, what was it, like 12 million copies in like a week or something crazy like that. Or like uh, Cyberpunk selling 13 million in month one, I think it was, or like week one of some crazy, crazy, crazy number. It gives you a very good example of how many people actually paid and bought the game. When, when we count players, it's a little bit tougher because you obviously have to count a lot of Game Pass people. And the problem is, is that when, when you use... Publicly available data, like which are achievements, it really paints a a bad picture for Starfield. Now, Starfield is a game that actually, when it looked, I put in over 150 hours into the video game. Uh, I personally agree with the seven out of ten, but we're not here to talk about the game. But when you look at the achievements for Xbox, 72% of players reach space, so we can we can say seven out of every ten players reach space. That is 30 minutes. You can reach, you can get that achievement within 20 to 30 minutes. 54% join Constellation. That's, so that's five out of every 10 players. That is one hour of game time. That is just visiting Constellation, having one um, string of dialogue, and then that achievement pops up. So that means that half of, half of the amount of players that played this game on Xbox, right, whether they bought it or they... Um, accessed it through Game Pass, half of them couldn't get through an hour of the video game. 49% reached level five, so that's just a few hours, and less than 10% completed the game. Now, on Steam, it's a little bit higher, which makes sense, because on Steam, you have to buy the game, right? 89% reached space, so remember, that's about half an hour. 79% uh, joined Constellation, so that's a lot higher. 5 out of 10 for Xbox, 8 out of 10 for uh, Steam players, played at least an hour of the game. 79% reached level five, and then 17% completed the game. So obviously a lot of these numbers become a little bit skewed because of the fact that you are purchasing a game at full price, however you paid $70, $100 for that early edition, versus it being included in your subscription of like, $11, $12, or whatever. So that's obviously going to affect these numbers. Uh, The positive is that you get more people to try games. The negative, though, is that increases the amount of, the the chances that someone's just going to stop playing the game because they instantly go, I have a feeling I wasn't going to like this, I don't like it. Or there's a lot of people that are trying it and going like, you know what, I don't like this. It's just a lot easier to put down a game where you didn't pay full price for it. If you bought Starfield and maybe within the first hour, you're just like, man, I'm not really liking this. Hour two, I'm not really liking this. You're going to commit to it because you paid the $70 to access it. Um, So yeah, I, I don't really like this metric of players because it's not really a good metric of how many people have actually played the game versus how many people have actually tried it. Phil Spencer also spoke about Banjo-Kazooie during a Windows Central interview. Quote, you've seen from our history that we haven't touched every franchise that people would love us to touch. Banjo fans, I hear you. But it is true that when we find the right team and the right opportunity, I love going back to revisit stories and characters that we've seen previously. Uh, This is something I've brought up many times on a podcast about Xbox. One major step that they need to take as a company is to, to introduce Synergy. Like, I remember saying that if I was Phil Spencer, at some point in time, I would create an, an Xbox Game Studio Summit once a year where I'm, I'm inviting, you know, one to five heads from each of these, um, uh, each of my developers. So five heads from Bethesda, five heads from Tango Gameworks, five, you know, literally every single studio. And I'm creating a, a summit you know, some sort of like an an island getaway almost for like these, um, for these different leaders to be able to come together, communicate with other leaders uh, at other companies and talk about synergy through the use of intellectual property and start those conversations of, you know, uh, people from 343 meeting the, 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 the leaders of id Software and saying, you know, hey, what are you guys working on uh, well, is there any interest in you guys doing something Halo related, for example? I think that that type of synergy is something that Xbox is capable of right now that no other student, no other platform is capable of. not PlayStation, not Nintendo. Neither of them have the, the the sheer number of developers, sheer number of publishers, sheer number of intellectual property, especially popular intellectual property, that Xbox now owns. And I think when you do that, it's very imperative and important that you rely on these different teams to um, either refresh or revitalize intellectual property. So going to Toys for Bob, which makes the Crash Bandicoot, Spyro, and Skylanders games, and saying like, hey, you guys have been working on Call of Duty for for quite some time now because they kind of became a Call of Duty development uh, support studio. Um, how would you guys like to tackle Banjo, a Banjo game? Or, geez, you guys are really good at kart racing games. What if we did a kart racing game just involving Xbox IP? Since we own, you know, Doom Guy and we own Crash, you know, uh, and we own Tracer from Overwatch. What does that look like as a kart racing game? or, Or going to Obsidian and saying, you know, hey, Bethesda is going to be working on Elder Scrolls. You guys are wrapping up Outer Worlds 2 right now. Um, Once you get to the tail end of Outer Worlds 2, how would you guys like to create a new Fallout story? Maybe it's not Fallout 5. Maybe it's not Fallout New Vegas 2. Maybe it's Fallout Brazil (laughs) or something like that, something crazy. I think that this needs to be the next step, right? They did it with Fable. Fable was up. Uh, You know, we we really would like to see a new Fable game. What about Playground games? Yeah, they make racing games, but... You know, they, they built a lot of great technology. They have a lot of great developers. There's a great team right there. How would you feel about about a new entry to Fable? It, and it's looking really, really good, right? So I think that this needs to be their next step Um, for Xbox is starting to mix and mingle a lot of these different intellectual um, properties, going to the team at Wolfenstein and, and saying, you know, is there something first person that can exist in the StarCraft universe or Diablo or whatever or something crazy like that. Uh, I think that's really the next step. In that same interview, Phil Spencer also revealed that while Xbox Game Pass is financially viable, the company spends over a billion dollars a year supporting third-party games coming into Game Pass. He said, quote, I think a lot of the publishers are naturally drawn to making games that are big hit games, as big as possible. We want to do that as well, of course, but because we have a platform or we have a subscription service, having people play more and stay engaged on the platform, regardless of the types of games they're playing, is a very viable part, part of our strategy. I think their latest edition, which was like a surprise drop, was Remnant 1 and 2, which I don't think anyone saw coming. That was really cool to see. I think that... One of, you know, I had just talked about Starfield and the fact that Game Pass sort of skews those numbers. But I want to make sure that I say that I don't view that as a negative. I still think it's a positive. I just don't think it's a good way to gauge a, a game success, um, to be honest with you. But I think, like, yes, there is a negative to game pass in terms of games become just a little bit easier to dispose and put down and like try for a bit especially with cloud when you're able to access things quickly to go like ah you know first 10 minutes like uh, this doesn't really seem good and you know kind of put it down and put it away that's definitely a negative to subscription services but i think the positive is definitely introducing games and experiences that people would not have tried otherwise and i think that it's worth that risk of like, it's worth the risk of me putting a game on here and gaining fans versus the few people that I might have tried and just put down the game, for example. And I think that that is the power of something like Game Pass. It really does remind me a lot of something like Netflix, where I think that there, there is this power with releasing something at a very low accessible price and the power of people being able to, you know, such a large pool of players be able to access it simultaneously. At this point, Game Pass should be, should be because we don't really know the numbers, it should be at 30 million subscribers. So that amount of power to know that you have instant access to 30 million players that are going to be able to play your game, uh, you know, as part of their subscription price and not have to pay extra, is a really, really appealing thing. And I think, especially to when it comes to smaller games, I think what Game Pass needs more is a lot more, you know, multiplayer games like something like Party Animals, more so than single player stuff. You know, I mean, when you look at a lot of these successes. Over the last few years, sometimes you see these multiplayer breakout games. We're seeing it right now with Lethal Company. That's like such a, a, a low price point. That's a game that if I'm Phil Spencer and my team and we see what's happening in Lethal Company, that that I pick up the phone immediately. And I'm talking to that developer and say, is there any support that we can give you to bring Lethal Company to Xbox first and put it on Game Pass first? Could you imagine the explosion that you would get for something like Game Pass? for it to be the, the console debut of a game like Lethal Company, which is doing so well on PC because it's just a really fun social game and be able to put that on Game Pass. I mean, think about like something like Vampire Survivors. It came to console first on Xbox and it was on Game Pass. And I think that that was the game. That's like a golden example of the power of Game Pass because it is a game that... When you look at it, it just doesn't look very good. It's like, okay, I get it, you know, it just doesn't look very fun. It doesn't look, but then when you play, it's just you're instantly, instantly hooked by that game. So I think that's really the power of of Game Pass right there. The other major piece of news was something that during a Wells Fargo TMT summit, Xbox chief financial officer Tim Stewart said. Where he said, "quote It's a bit of change of strategy. Not announcing anything broadly here, but our mission is to bring our first-party experiences and our subscription services to every screen that can play games. That means smart TVs, mobile devices. That means that we would have, that means what we would have thought of as competitors in the past, like PlayStation and Nintendo." He goes on to say, "We think about the console landscape, and part of the real evolution of the deal was, hey, look." We've got a fixed console audience for Xbox, or relatively f- fixed, but not growing that fast. You've got a couple of hundred million of console addressable market. You got three hundred million or four hundred million in that PC gaming market. Then you have billions in the mobile market. And he was talking about the Activision Blizzard acquisition once again, echoing what Phil Spencer said, which is, "Hey, one of our main drivers and motivations for for purchasing Activision Blizzard was actually mobile," and a lot of people thought it was Call of Duty. Uh, Following that, Phil Spencer had an interview and this is what he said, quote, I'll start by saying we have no plans to bring Game Pass to PlayStation or Nintendo. It's not in our plans, but I think you hit on the right point of what it means to own an Xbox. The thing I want to be focused on is how do we continue to innovate for people who've made the commitment to our hardware platform and how do we continue to make sure that they feel great about their investment in what we've built? Spencer told Bloomberg last week, it's an important part of our strategy and something we're actively working on today and and today, not only alone. But talking to other partners who'd also like to see more choice for how they can monetize on the phone. Asked when Microsoft might launch its mobile marketplace, he said, quote, I don't think this is multiple years away. I think this is sooner than that. So the Nintendo Sony Game Pass thing started bringing up these rumors that floated to the top again about Xbox becoming third party. And uh, no, that's, that's not what's going to happen. I don't think that this really means that Xbox is instantly going to turn off the faucet of console hardware and just, you know, start creating games purely for other platforms. I don't, I don't really think that that's what's happening right here. Um, a while back, I think it was a few years ago, I had written an article on a medium, which I I should probably write more articles. It was like the only one that I wrote. A lot of my writing now is just on those YouTube videos that I make. I had written a an article titled uh, Xbox is the only next generation console. And the reason why I put that out was because I truly felt like Xbox out of the big three, Xbox, PlayStation, piece, uh, sorry, Nintendo, Xbox was the only one that was actively preparing for a digital future. When it comes to entertainment, when you think about films, uh, books, TV shows, um games and then I I guess maybe you could count sports but I guess scripted entertainment right those are like the major four Uh, for the most part they've all gone through a digital revolution meaning that the primary way not, not only just that the primary way you access those things are digital but that the The digital content comes before the hardware. This is something that our industry has not been able to accomplish. When you hear about a brand new album, right? Like Drake is releasing Scary Hours 3. There's not, you don't really think about how you're gonna access that album. You think about a preferred way to do it, right? You might think, okay, I'm gonna go on my cell phone and listen to it uh, in my earbuds when I take a walk tomorrow, or I'm going to wait till midnight when it releases and I'm going to, you know, via Bluetooth, play it through my car as I drive around. Um, but the album comes before the hardware, right? Some, you might play it on your PC. A lot of people like to stream themselves listening to new albums. So you pull Spotify up on your PC and that's how you're listening to it. The content comes before the hardware. Even if you have a preferred choice of where you would like to listen to it, the the places where you are allowed to listen to it are almost limitless. Same goes for TV shows and movies. Netflix is obviously a software company. It's, It's an application. And when Netflix releases something new, right? like, oh man, Netflix just released you know, that, uh, what's the name of that movie that comes out this month? Rebel Moon, I think it is, which looks, uh, uh, pretty cool. That Snyder film. Once that film releases, that film comes before the hardware because you're thinking, okay, I'm going to watch it on my TV. Um, or, you know, know, I'm going to be on the road. That's cool. I I can watch it on my laptop. Our industry isn't there yet. Our industry is at a point where the hardware is still very much needed in order to access the software. A few years ago, Xbox changed everything when Phil Spencer took over from Matric. And I think what Phil Spencer realized was that when it came to the hardware race, they lost. Like they were so far behind in third place that Phil Spencer knew that there was nothing that they could do to catch up to PlayStation. It just was not going to happen. So I think that Phil Spencer and his team asked themselves, how will we we be playing video games 20 years from now? And I think that they reached a conclusion of looking at every other entertainment system and realizing that the software comes before the hardware and software is going to become platform agnostic in the future of video games. The biggest hurdle to our industry being predominantly or or digital only is file sizes, is the fact that games are just too large to be able to be downloaded easily or accessed easily. The other challenge was things like broadband, for example, uh, which have been addressed not perfectly in, in all places, but then you have the introduction of things like 5G. So technology is moving towards that future. And for me, when Xbox announced the play anywhere program, I think they started with gears four. I could be wrong. It could have been Gears five. I remember thinking, Oh, this is really cool. So if I remember I bought gears four for Xbox one and I downloaded it for PC and it was one price and I was able to access it on both systems and I can transfer my saves back and forth. I remember thinking to myself, I like this. I really, really like this. It was, one of the first times that I actually experienced something like cross-saving and being able to just pick up a game on another device. Then, of course, we had Stadia. And I remember trying it out in beta for Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And I was like, whoa, this is really cool that I'm playing it on my home desktop. And then I took my laptop to my sister's house and I was playing it on, on there uh, over her Wi-Fi. This is the future. And I think that that's what X- Xbox realized early on. Xbox right now, I think that there are a lot of people that think like it's like a failure. It's like a point of failure for Xbox to move away from hardware when it's actually a much better strategy than anything else. And it's actually a really simple one. When hardware is sold, you actually don't make a lot of money. And uh, most of the times you actually lose money, especially at launch. But the... Key is to lower the entry price to video games, right? So think about what's the entry price to music. It's a lot lower than it was before, uh, especially because almost everyone has this device that you need, which is called a cell phone, right? For Xbox, that, that was their most important thing is how do we lower the price of entry? How do we just get you to the video games, right? And that's exactly where they are right now. So even if Phil Spencer is saying, hey, we have no plans to bring Game Pass to PlayStation Nintendo, I truly believe that they've had those conversations before. I truly do believe that even if it's just in passing, even if it's just casual speak with Doug Bowser, I think Phil Spencer or someone else at Xbox has brought up, like, do you ever think that there's a way that we could work out a deal where you would have Game Pass on, on Nintendo Switch, for example? And it's funny because I've brought up as like, that would be a very fruitful partnership for Nintendo and Xbox to have. Even if Nintendo were to A, curate it. So that means that you can't access every single Game Pass title on Switch. But it would really round out the Nintendo Switch because Nintendo Switch has a, a huge third-party problem. We just saw with the, back, the Batman Arkham Trilogy where uh, the game was just the most awful way to play it. Hogwarts Legacy, the worst, most awful way to play the game, Mortal Kombat 1. And they're still being charged full price. So it's almost like I do, for PlayStation, I think it it makes zero sense. For for, for Nintendo Switch, if you think about adding Game Pass to Switch and then Nintendo requiring that you also have a Nintendo Switch online account in order to access it, uh, I don't know. It's kind of like an interesting proposition to, to make and to have because it really does round out in a Nintendo Switch where you're able to play these large third-party games that uh, obviously it would all be cloud streamed, that you would not be able to do on Nintendo Switch no matter what. Even if the new Nintendo Switch that comes out next year can graphically do things better, it will never be able to keep up with the rest of the industry. It's just impossible. So I do believe that those conversations have been had. I think Phil Spencer is also telling the truth when he says there are no plans, right? Um, but if PlayStation allowed it and and Nintendo allowed it, of course they would, why wouldn't they, (laughs) you know, but for PlayStation, it's like, well, it doesn't really make any sense. Right. Um, if I allow game pass, that means that someone owns a PlayStation five can access call of duty, black ops, Gulf war next year, um, for $11 a month, instead of paying $70 and me being able to take 30%, for example. Right. So it obviously wouldn't make a lot of sense. But, you know, Phil Spencer has talked a lot and I've spoken a lot about mobile. Mobile is the biggest gaming market that we have by a mile. Mobile gaming makes up over 50% of our entire industry. The other 50% is a combination of PC, Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo, for example. Um, It's just not even close how huge it is. And a lot of it is, As I just explained it, in Brazil, it's uh, close to $800 to access an Xbox Series S. It's ridiculous. It's definitely a lot cheaper, though, to be able to stream something through a mobile phone. And you see the same thing happen in India. India mobile gaming is huge. Xbox right now, with the purchase of Activision Blizzard, has a lot of just like really good revenue coming in. Because you have subscription services, which is something that Xbox has not really been doing uh, you have the subscription service of world of Warcraft. You have, uh, all the, you know, extra revenue coming from every single call of duty still in operation Diablo four, you have Diablo four immortal, immortal. You have all this mobile revenue candy crush pulls in a billion dollars in revenue every single year. You have revenue coming in from call of duty mobile, for example, you know, uh, blizzard just released a new warcraft was it warcraft rumble something like that some sort of cell phone game and i think for for xbox this is mobile really is their future and they're moving into it a lot faster than playstation and nintendo are moving and i think that this is just the right decision i think it's weird when people think that it's like a bad thing like oh this is a bad thing that xbox is wanting to sell less hardware no this just fiscally and financially just makes much more sense. It, and and that's the reason why during that Xbox leak that happened a few months ago, there was all this planning for a campaign around making the control of the hero. And 100%, like I could literally see the commercial of just a controller or, or a controller in someone's hand. And it's like, it shows a, a TV screen and then the TV screen slides away. And now it's showing a, uh, what do you call it? A, 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 cell phone on an airplane. And then that backdrop slides away, but the control and the hands are in the same place that slides away. Now it's a laptop and in, in a coffee shop or something like that. Uh, and then you basically end that commercial by saying, you know, access to over 400 games for what's game pass right now, $11 a month or something like that is right now is 11, 12 bucks a month. Um, And you have this sizzle reel of Call of Duty and Crash Bandicoot and all Tony Hawk and Halo and all this incredible Gears of War, all this IP that you now own. It's a very, very powerful commercial where you can say, hey, here's a $60 controller with this $60 controller and $12 a month, you can access over 400 games. How much easier of a sell that is compared to PlayStation 5, $500 in each game, $70, right? It's, it's it's a much more powerful piece of marketing. And I don't look at it as like, oh, this is a failure. Xbox has admitted, admitted failure. They can't sell as many consoles as PlayStation. Look, it is extremely concerning. And I think Phil Spencer and his team should be concerned at how little Xboxes they're selling. That is not good. That means that people do not have a lot of confidence in the platform um, because I think I said this before, you can't set up for a future and then forget about the present, which I think is one of Microsoft's biggest problems. But I think that right now they're trending towards a future that fiscally just makes a lot more sense for Xbox, especially when you think about mobile. Like when I think about Xbox is definitely going to try their best to create their own mobile store but I wouldn't be surprised if internally they looked at what Apple is doing with the iPhone 15, you know, Capcom releasing Resident Evil Village and Resident Evil 4 on there and saying to themselves, hey, what happens if we release Hi-Fi Rush on iPhone next year for 20 bucks, 20 $30, and people could just buy it straight up? Like, yeah, we can't do Game Pass. Game Pass is like, it just there's no native Game Pass app. Apple doesn't allow it, but now we can natively port our games over to a cell phone why wouldn't you do it you know you have access to billions of consumers billions where right now on a console you have access to maybe less than maybe, maybe 30 million is what xbox is at. we really don't know it's somewhere around 25 to 30 million how does that compare to a billion But I think for companies like PlayStation, they're not interested in that. They want you to buy their hardware. They want that to be your entrance. Uh, Maybe at some point you'll see, you know, God of War coming to a a cell phone natively or something like that. But I think that Xbox would be the first one to pull that trigger and say like, yeah, let's get Hi-Fi Rush on that. There's a perfect game or something like Pentiment on there for like $20 to $30. See how that does. I think that out of the three, Xbox is the one that would absolutely make that move. And it's it's beneficial to every single person involved. It's beneficial to Xbox, is more revenue for them. It's more beneficial to those developers, more people will play their game. And it's more beneficial to gamers, more people will have access to that video game than ever, ever before. And that's even without talking about cloud, which I think that Xbox still needs to accelerate. They need to get xbox to the point where i can stream my library because once they do that everything changes because when far cry 7 rolls out you have a choice you either play on your dedicated playstation that you, you either need to be at home or a remote play or something like that or you buy it on xbox and now i can cloud stream my own game across stage and across progression across any screen that I can put in front of my face. It's very, very different. And it's something that obviously PlayStation has begun to accelerate also. But I think Xbox is still slightly ahead. Uh, But they definitely need to accelerate a lot uh, faster. This week's hot releases, December 5th, Disney Dreamlight Valley, all consoles, Skater XL, Switch. December 7th, Outer Wilds for Switch, Resident Evil 4 Remake, PSVR 2 VR Mode. Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis comes to PC the day before finally hits PC early access. And Avateer, Avateer, Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, PC, PS5, and Xbox Series X. We went kind of over, so I'm going to shorten and wrap it up to only two. Uh, Take-Two Interactive has been accused of theft in a class action lawsuit filed in federal court November 17th by a minor who's represented by their mother. It focuses on take Two sale of virtual currency, and the inability to transfer that currency to newer versions of the game. They also bring up the fact that old servers are shut down rapidly. So you have no access to that currency that you brought in. This is a this is a huge, huge case. They're gonna have uh huge ramifications. I personally feel like take two is just gonna pursue settling this uh, and to keep it out of the public eye. But this is a huge, huge deal. Something I've brought up a lot about Take Two and how scammy and scummy NBA two K. Uh whoever's represented this lawsuit, I would I would actually try to broaden it and try to get more people into that class action and make it as big as possible uh, because it is a really, really big deal and there's a lot of money involved. Finally, Netflix announced that GTA Trilogy Definitive Edition was coming to Netflix's mobile library on December 14th. When, this, when Netflix first announced this initiative, I said that it was dumb. I thought it was going to be a waste of money and this is a perfect example of it. GTA Trilogy Definitive Edition does not exist on mobile. If you go on your Apple store right now, you can only access the original trilogy that came out years ago. So the original three Vice City San Andreas, and I think they're like five bucks each. So what this means to me is that Rockstar was building this to release on mobile, but Netflix basically cut in and said, don't release it on mobile. Let me pay you to release it through Netflix which I think that this is just a window. I think it's going to be like a six month to a one year window. And then they're just going to release it regularly on iOS and the Play Store. Think about how much money Netflix would have to pay Rockstar and Take-Two to to not put Grand Theft Auto on a cell phone. (laughs) It's probably an enormous amount of money. Definitely millions of dollars for them to do this. I just feel like it's a complete waste of money for Netflix. But that's coming December 14th. Um, shout out, shout out to the week goes out to Fortnite. The big bang event happened, um, last week. It was amazing as always like, geez, that, that, that team is just so good at what they do. Still continues to prove why they're the best live service game. They also announced three new games using that event. Lego Fortnite coming to December 7th, Rocket Racing, December 8th and Fortnite Festival, December 9th. Fortnite Festival is actually built by Harmonix. It's like a rock band kind of mode which i think is kind of cool rocket racing is built by the rocket league team which is also kind of cool so that's more like track racing arcade racing kind of thing and then lego fortnite is insane because they converted over a thousand skins over into lego form and they're free so as long as you own that original skin you'll get the lego form some like some skins are licensed it looks like they have to work out new licenses so those aren't ready yet but overall, it's, man, such an amazing amount of value that you're getting out of Fortnite. Shout out to them. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and YouTube at Camp Coaching for Future Updates. Once again, I'm Joal, and I'll see you all next week.